Um, we are going to be continuing the Gospel and Action series today. It's our study of the book of Acts. And the big idea of this series is that the Gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just kind of a set of ideas. It's not something that we can just hold as abstract mental thoughts. But rather it's something that centers and reorders our life. And that as a church family, we are to live out that Gospel in action together. And we're in a very foundational period of time in our church's existence. And as we're looking at the book of Acts, we're, we're looking at the foundation of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so as we look into the book of Acts, we're looking at God's word for us as we are building the foundation of our new reality as a church family. And so today's sermon is going to be called Spiritual Might. And we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4. And so if you would, make your way in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And as you are turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer that the Lord would be with us, that his spirit would teach us the truth that he would have us take away today. So, Father God, we thank you so much for your holy word, Lord, that we get to come and that you interact with us, that you disclose yourself to us, God, and that it's not just theological information, God, but that your spirit applies it to our hearts to transform us, to change us. God, and I pray that today, Lord, whatever situation we come from or whatever our background is, whatever hurt and pain we've come from in this week, God, I pray that we would encounter through your words the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that in seeing him, we would know him. Lord, and I pray that today we would be overcome with the victory that is in his life, his death and his resurrection, God, and that it would make us a people of conviction and courage that with the spiritual might would be able to be emissaries of this great gospel in our city and in our world, God. So we commit this time to you. We pray your Holy Spirit would be with us to understand this holy word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were in the high priestly family, and went, and when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by which means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. 
For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For this man, whom the sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to do through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they heard they had prayed, they, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I, I love this text because what has happened is Peter and John have been arrested. They have just performed this mighty miracle of seeing a man that was lame from birth be completely restored, be completely healed. Um, this man that had been lame, and 40 years later, is now dancing in the streets because Jesus Christ has healed him. And Peter and John preached the resurrection of Jesus. But because of this, the ruling religious establishment essentially said, no, you can't teach the name of Jesus. And they arrested him, and they basically held them to trial. And Peter, yet again, with boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, takes this as another opportunity to testify to what Jesus has done. And there's such boldness, there's such courage. And because of this, this is just such an awesomely epic text. I love it because we, we like the idea of courage, I think. Um, we like the idea of, you know, trying to think of ourselves as courageous people. We like to think that we could paint our faces blue, be William Wallace, charge the fires of Mount Doom, you know, stab Lucius Malfoy in the heart with an American heart. Uh, it's, a, it's one of those things that is a, a huge idea that moves us. It's something that we like the idea of courage, but a lot of times courage is more of an aspirational value than it really is realistic. Um, Because it's hard to be courageous. Courage actually entails that you are being opposed by something or someone. Uh, Whenever you actually decide to serve Jesus, to follow him, to live in his ways, to live in his commandments, you will be opposed. And you're going to either have the choice to to stand up and face that opposition or to bow your knee to it. Um, Even in the process of this church, uh, we've been in just such an incredible season for about three months now where we've seen the Lord revitalize this church. And we've seen that we've had a lot of opposition. We've had a lot of opposition from the inside and from outside. Um, I I know for a fact that Satan really wanted this church to die. But there was a a group of people that courageously united together. And we've been able to see life, abundant life, be poured upon this great church. And as we even go to the future and the Lord continues to bless us and to grow us, we're going to need to be a people of courage. You see, I I think our world is desperate for real courage. I I think our world would really like to see a courageous people actually stand up and stand with real conviction, with real spiritual might. But so many times, I I think the opposite of that 
comes true. And, and probably the biggest temptation that would prevent us from being courageous is the fear of man. We begin to be more concerned with our perception, what people think of us, what people might perceive us to be. And we begin to cower in all these different ways and begin to operate out of the opposite of courage, which really is cowardice. Now, cowardice can take a lot of different forms. You can kind of have the passive-aggressive cowardice, which is basically you have convictions, you have things that make you angry, but you're never really going to confront people about them because really you're just kind of scared. You'll gossip about them. You might make these kind of like cheap little snide remarks to hurt people. You won't actually openly come out and address them, though, because in reality, you care a little bit more about your fear of failure or maybe your fear of what people would think of you rather than being able to be courageous to stand up for what you believe is right and to lovingly and graciously address people that you might need to confront. There's also the indifference type of cowardice. This is um, the nice guy form of cowardice. In other words, um, you kind of see yourself as a peacemaker and maybe kind of a guy that's just kind of real even keeled. But in reality, you have convictions. You see things that are wrong, but you won't stand up for it at all. You'd rather everything be okay. And so you'll sweep things under the rug. You'll be able to be there to say, you know what? Um, Why don't we just kind of all get along? And what happens is this kind of nice guy form of cowardice can actually allow a lot of sin to exist and to do damage to people. To have people be hurt because you won't stand up for what is right. You care more about how people perceive you than you do about doing actually what's right can be a very scary form of cowardice. Because the problem with the world is not just that bad people do evil things, it's that good people don't stand up for what's right. See, Nazi Germany had a whole lot of nice guy cowards that were just simply indifferent to the atrocities that were going on in their nation. But then you also have kind of this false version of courage that is, I would say, rebelliousness and selfishness. This is a kind of a dangerous one because it kind of masquerades like it looks like real courage. But really, you're just kind of selfish. You're about your own agenda. And so you'll actually be real confrontational, but you confront people for all the wrong reasons. It's not for the agenda of God or the agenda of what is right. It's really just your own agenda. You just kind of want to get your way. And so you're really threatened when people challenge your way. You're really threatened whenever people might cross your will a little bit. And so you use kind kind of your willpower to be really, really authoritative and mean You'll use your willpower to, to push people around, to be very, very um, demeaning of towards other people. And it's really ugly when Christians have this type of cowardice. Because what happens is Christians that have this are, are, are very, very demeaning of non-Christians or even other Christians that just don't look exactly like they do. And so they can be very, very ugly, very, very mean. But really what this is, is it's not a form of courage. It's a form of cowardice that's rooted in deep insecurity. You know, even though we like the idea of courage, I bet if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, you can kind of see one of yourself in one of those categories. And you can kind of see yourself as, I, I kind of do type to, I tend to lean towards this version of cowardice because it's comfortable for me. We like our comfort zone. We, we don't like to kind of step out and expose ourselves to make ourselves vulnerable. But you see, God has not called his people to the comfortable. He's called us to the extraordinary. And in order to, to live that extraordinary life, we have to be a people of courage. We have to be a people that, that are committed 
to living courageously. But the good news of the gospel is it doesn't just require us to be courageous. It actually supplies what we need to be courageous. And what I see in this text is Luke is outlining three different ways that we can be a courageous people. Three different keys of being able to live as a people and as individuals of spiritual might. Those three keys are, one is never apologize for Jesus. Number two is never defend yourself. And number three is never fight alone. Number one is never apologize for Jesus. Um, I, I love how Peter is essentially standing with his friend John. And they're in front of this high priestly family. Annas and, and Caiaphas. These are the guys that put Jesus to trial. These are scary dudes. They're very, very powerful men. These are people that put Jesus on trial. Essentially handed him over to Pilate. And, and Peter has the audacity and the boldness to courageously preach the gospel in front of them. Not only that, he is actually talking to men who murdered God. I mean, what an unbelievable confidence that Peter had to be able to have in order to, to be able to say that. But Peter's not necessarily drawing that confidence out of who he is in and of himself. It's not how smart he is. It's not how powerful or strong he is. I mean... Later on in the text, we learn that these are very uneducated, common men. That yet they're bold, yet they're courageous, yet these are men of unbelievable might. And the reason that is, sorry about that. We were having issues with the lights a lot. Um, the reason they are able to be courageous is because they're not basing their might out of who they are. They're not basing their might out of who they are. They're basing their might out of who Jesus is. What Jesus has accomplished. What Jesus has done in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so they don't have to be confident in and of themselves. They're confident because of who Jesus is. What he's accomplished. And whenever you're a Christian, you never have to apologize for Jesus. And if you can't be courageous about Jesus, you're never really going to be able to be courageous about anything else. Because if he's the center of who you are... And you feel like you have to apologize for him. If you feel like you have to be able to be there to kind of make him look pretty and water down the gospel, you're not really going to be able to take a stand for anything else. Now, this doesn't give you the right or the privilege to be able to essentially be a person that's going to kind of use the Bible to thump around your opinions. Um, have you ever seen that guy? It's like they kind of like pick and choose out of the Bible the, the verses that back their agenda up. No, 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 you can't do that. In fact, that's a really dangerous place to be. You can't put words in God's mouth. You can't let God um, be kind of the validation to your agenda. But in the same way, we have to be a people that are bold about our proclamation of Jesus, who he is and who he has called us to be. And so if God has called you to live a certain way, if God has called you to be a certain way and given you a calling in your life, you never have to apologize. And, And the culture that we live in tempts us to apologize for Jesus. Tempts us to kind of try to make Jesus a little bit more presentable to our modern age. But you never have to apologize for Jesus. If you get that idea, you're, you're on the way to be able to understand what true courage is. Number two is you never have to defend yourself. I, I love how Peter doesn't try to muster his own defense. Or John doesn't try to say, no, 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 let me explain our, our motives to you. Because you see, if you're living as a Christian, if you're following the gospel of Jesus Christ, your motives will be misunderstood. Even Jesus' motives were misunderstood. 
And, and Peter and John don't try to explain their motives. They don't try to do anything. They don't even mount a defense. They just explain what has happened. And God provides their defense. There's a man that is healed. No one can deny it. And I love how it says they had nothing to say in opposition. See, God is a much defender of your own name than you could ever be. And whenever you allow God to defend you, when you allow a God to be your vindication, he will defend you in ways that you could never imagine. And the best way that this happens is through just simply fruitful living, from fruitful character, the actions, the ministry. There, there's no doubt that Peter and John have the power of God moving through them. No one can deny that. This is the high priestly family. These are the guys that are supposed to be doing all the cool spiritual stuff. And here are these uneducated Galileans that are working in signs, wonders, and miracles. See, if, if you're experiencing opposition, if you're really committed to Jesus Christ, you're going to have a life that gives glory to him. But but look at this statement. Here's the one qualifying issue. Look at that last part of verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Does your life, the way that you live, the words that you speak, the fruit of even how the gospel moves through you, does it testify to the fact that you have been with Jesus? That you know Jesus? That you love Jesus? See, the courage to be able to let God be your vindication is also the same courage that it takes to actually obey his commandments. To be a people that will allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict you, to challenge you, to change you. You see, and Peter and John are are these type of guys. They're letting God be their vindication. Not defending themselves, not trying to explain their own motives. They're letting the fruit of their life be that very defense. Point number three is is never fight alone. I, I love how Peter and John come home and they don't just get bitter. They don't post an angry Facebook status. They don't just get really upset that the religious establishment is against them and resisting them in everything that they're doing. They get together with their friends and they pray. They get together with their friends and they, they consult the word of God. And, and, and here's something that you need to understand. You're going to be opposed in life. You're going to be opposed in life even with and especially when you're doing the right things. But you're never supposed to fight that battle alone. We are very much engaged in a spiritual warfare. And that enemy roams a lot around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that lion will try to isolate you, to get you alone, to discourage you, to distract you, so that one day he could destroy you. That we are not to be a people that fight our spiritual battles alone. We are to be a people that wage war and counsel to be a people that wage war in community. And this, is, this happens in two different ways. One is in community with other people and spiritual family, believers, but also in communion with God himself. See, we need people around us. We need spiritual family that can encourage us and sharpen us, that we can share and be honest with our fears and our failures and our opposition and the things that are coming against us so that those people can encourage us with the word of God. That's what spiritual community looks like. And we've talked a lot about this, especially in our membership process, is that we need to be a people that value spiritual family. To have people around us that are not just kind of studying the Bible with us and everybody prays and goes their own way and secretly behind everyone's back, they're kind of gossiping against one another. That's not spiritual family. That's lame. No one likes that. We're not going to try to build that, okay? What we need is people that love one another. 
people that are committed to sharing life with one another, people that are able to be, you're able to be honest and vulnerable with, to where they can speak into your life and say, you know what? I saw in the word of God the other day something that I felt would really encourage you to be able to wage that war together. And, and many times what this does is it actually pr- protects us from being diff- different forms of cowards, right? Because you might have this tendency to kind of, kind of take it laying down or you might have this tendency to kind of rise up and get really mad and really over-aggressive. And what spiritual community does is says, no, 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 that's outside of the gospel. That, that's, that's not the way you should be able to respond to this. And you're able to be corrected. You're able to be getting, get, have a lot of counsel given to you. But more than that, we share that communion with God Almighty. How do we share that community? It's through prayer, to be a people of prayer. You see, I, I love how the, the early church weaves the word of God into their prayers. You can tell that they were interacting with scripture in such a way that it wasn't just something that they were reading to get kind of these ideas about God straight in their minds that they, they prayed through scripture. Literally, the, this group of people pray a psalm together and apply it to their situation. But you see, what prayer does too is it acknowledges the sovereignty of God. They acknowledge as they pray to God, as they address Him, they say that you're a sovereign Lord. They later on in that prayer are are talking about all the terrible circumstances, all the resistance. But they credit that resistance to whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, it's good news. It's very good news that God is sovereign and that He is good. Because if that's true, that means there's not a single circumstance in your life that he is not Lord over. And if that's true, you can actually rest in him. You don't have to anxiously try to take the horns of your life and control it. You can actually rest in him. You can, you can actually rest in his word and his promises because he is also good. And allow the Holy Spirit even to, to speak into your situation. The result of this is the earth is shaken. And the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They're filled with boldness. And they're able to go out with courage and to continue to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ with even more boldness. I I love it. I I love to to see a picture of a church that actually looks like this. A people of courage. You see, we can try hard to be courageous. But if we're doing it in of ourselves, it'll either kind of stumble into a false version of courage. That's all about us and our agenda. Or we'll just cower. We'll cower to our circumstances. That, that courage has to be rooted in something so much deeper than just our willpower to stand up to what is wrong. I, I think sometimes we mistakenly think that courage is simply the absence of fear when it's not. True courage, Christian courage, is being able to make the reality of Jesus in your own life bigger than the reality of that which you fear. And as that happens, the only way that can happen is whenever we allow the reality of the victory that has already been won in Jesus Christ. When we allow our hearts to be overcome with the reality of the victory that has already been won. Because you see, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection, really defeated all the opposition that truly existed against you. All the enemies, all the, all the people that you think are your enemies. See, beneath that and behind all of that, there's greater enemies. The enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And by Jesus Christ, those enemies have already been defeated. And as we allow that that reality to overcome our hearts and awe us in the revelation of what he has accomplished, we can actually be a people of true courage. This is what Paul says later on in Colossians, beginning in verse 13. And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, the good news is that we're on the winning team. Not only... Is Jesus going to win? Jesus has already won. Guys, I I pray that we would be a church that would let that sink so deeply inside of us. That we would be able to be a a people of humble courage. Not rooted in ourselves or our own will or what we've done or what we can accomplish. But what Jesus has done. Because we are called to be a courageous church that courageously demonstrates, lives out, fruitfully bears witness to that great gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's let this be a moment that God can interact with us. As we conclude our sermons, the reason why we respond with worship and we respond to communion is because the gospel requires a response of worship from us. And what I want you to do, there's going to be some people that begin to move around, but I encourage you to close your eyes. I encourage you to let this be a moment that you share with the Holy Spirit of God. And I encourage you to maybe even do some own soul searching and and ask yourself, what are the areas of my life where I've been influenced by fear and cowardice? What are the things that I'm not taking a stand for? What are the ways that I'm responding wrongly to this life that I'm living? And as we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ in communion, what we're remembering is that victory that has been won for us by Jesus Christ. We're remembering the victory that was won for us on Calvary. And as we receive that communion, I want you to to taste and to see and to experience that victory in your own heart. Maybe this is a time that you need to confess sin for being so driven by the fear of man. Maybe it's a time that you need to to confess other sin in your life. But as you do that, I, I want you to be overwhelmed as you receive these sacraments, these elements, if you're a Christian, and and let your heart realize the victory that has been won for you in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to worship Jesus through sacrament and song. And so, Father God, we give you this time. Lord, and I pray that your spirit would be alive and well, that he would move upon us, that he would move in us. God, as we study your word and as, as, as a man speaks about that word, God, we can have a lot of ideas that go through our head, God, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this moment to transform our hearts. God, that you would forgive us of sin, God, but that you would impute to us the gift of your righteousness, that you would overcome us with your grace, God, that as a transformed people, we would be courageous in our life for the sake of your gospel. Lord, bless us as we prepare to respond to you in worship. Let your spirit continue to move upon us and to to shape us into the people that you have called us to be. God, so we commit this time to you. Lord, and we say that you're a God that is worthy of all of our worship, all of our affection. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.